Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket. I'm your host, Benny, and thank you for tuning in. Folks, this week, my fellow co-host, Mayank, was joined by Cricket Tragic and CSK fan, Karthik Kannan. Karthik, who has previously contributed to Cricket.com, came on the podcast to chat former India fielding coach R. Sridhar's recent book, Coaching Beyond My Days with the Indian Cricket Team. They discussed fascinating anecdotes from Sridhar, his impact on India's fielding during his tenure, the team-up with Ravi Shastri and Bharat Arun, and what the book will be remembered for in the years to come. All that and more in the conversation coming up. All right, Karthik, thanks for joining us. Excited to have you on and discuss uh, R. Sridhar's book, Coaching Beyond My Days with the Indian Cricket Team. Um, obviously, R. Sridhar was India's fielding coach, for those unaware, and he was with the team for a while. So he started in 2014 to 2021, um, a period where India did exceptionally well, both at home and abroad. Um, one could one could say it was India's best phase in, in cricketing history. Um, so we obviously have a number of you know wonderful anecdotes to share, uh, and we'll jump right in. Um, uh, so, Karthik, I know there were so many great anecdotes from this era, and I'm sure we both have watched it very closely. So, um, but let's start with a couple which you know stood out to you, and um, yeah, why, why don't you start with that, and then I'll jump in as well. Sure. I think uh, one thing that stood out was this was I think towards the end of 2014 when Virat Kohli was um, the captain in charge because Dhoni wasn't available for the Gabba. Not the Gabba, I think it was the Adelaide Test match of uh, 2014. And Ashri noted this conversation between MS Dhoni and Virat Kohli, where Virat says that no matter what, we're going to go chase. Whatever the total they're going to you know, throw at us, we're going to go and chase. And you could feel that palpable energy sitting in India, that India, this, this side under Virat Kohli is very, very different. As much as we've seen MS Dhoni uh, being fairly successful for India, 
sometimes you know there is this demon of dominica which which you know snares up because in dominica uh, in the west indies in 2011 darren sammy was surprised that india did not opt to chase i think we had about 87 to get and 15 overs remaining with dravid and lakshman batting seven wickets in hand dhoni said we've already won the series i don't want to go chase it now having seen you know you know uh, dhoni's statement in dominica to having virat saying that we will go after this target was a refreshing change and it is also around the time that some of the two biggest countries were looking at a wholesale dna change one was india i've also read morgan's book where he talks about how that uh, dna for the team was set up saying this is how we will you know be aggressive and i think that as even uh, the coach arshida says was a landmark moment for indian cricket because india has never been so aggressive as a test playing nation and despite all of their aggression a lot of the winning start, started to come only 2 3 years later if you remember that particular series right. we lost the first two test matches and it as it happens in australia right half the series is gone that's when you start to get into your groove and we even <laughs> right. went to south africa and then lost but we started to we lost in england also but that's when we started winning border gavaskar trophies and at least there was this uh, phase that we went through where we you know had very clearly said that this is this is our dna to play and this is how we'd go ahead and i thought that to me resounded as a landmark moment because i could feel it as a fan back then in 2014 looking at india actually going to chase because you've never seen that kind of aggression at least um, uh, not until 2022 because england's been now doing that with baseball where they seem to be going after teams and of, of course steve was australia had a, uh, a, a very different departure from how it was under mark taylor so that way i to me it was a very proud moment that you know virat said that saying it doesn't matter we will never know until we go go ahead and try yeah. i think that anecdote was uh, something that struck a bell with me yeah it's that's a fascinating one because um i think uh, i don't remember ms dhoni's exact words but he basically tried to you know pull virat to the side and say i know you want to do this but you may not have the resources you know that's what he sort of paraphrased and and so the interesting part about that is obviously ms dhoni has been the captain in 20, 2011 where they've lost 4-0 in australia 4-0 in england and he's seen all these defeats and obviously he's also a very good judge of the team's strength um and all of that and it it showed what a young mind can do which has no baggage whatsoever and it just believes in you know its capability so it was definitely a really good change from that perspective um and i mean obviously it, it matters a lot and i think there's another anecdote in the book where arshidhar says that there were a couple of times when virat would be sitting in the dressing room saying oh we just need one partnership and we're going to win this game and everybody else would be thinking on what is he talking about how are you winning this so it it definitely was it, it almost reminded me a little bit of shane wan because uh we've heard a lot of stories of shane wan where he would just believe it did not like he would be on commentary and he would say Oh, so what if they're three fifty behind? They just need to get a couple of wickets, and you know, then put on five hundred. Like he would just believe the most obscure things because he just grew up in with that mindset of you know always competing, always fighting. And of course, he had a ridiculous team around him, which allowed him to do that as well. But but nonetheless, even as a commentator, he was always believing in 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 winning that. So that particular anecdote definitely reminded me of Shane Warren, and I was like, wow, there's definitely parallels between these uh, these champions. um the one other one actually is also that stood to, stood out to me was also related to virat kohli 
where uh, R. Sridhar says that the greatest contribution that him and Ravi Shastri have made to Indian cricket is to make sure that players are not worried about the pitches. And it's it's funny I mentioned this because this has been all over the news. The border right. for for those listening later, we are talking about this while the Border Gavaskar Trophy of 2023 is ongoing, and it's all been about pitches. So that way, I I mean I definitely feel like um, that was always a concern. I I mean I remember coming home from school as a kid and seeing you know a green pitch in England uh, at you know it would be a 3:30 IST start so we would come home we would look at turn on the TV and they would talk about the pitch and we'd be like oh man how are we going to win on this and that suddenly was not a big deal it was like what combination we need to play um, what scores do we need to set like it was different things that were being talked about and uh, so that Wait, is so a, much has changed I, right the, that mm-hmm. itself is a huge mindset change because you're, you're only thinking what combination do you think we should have to win as opposed right. to uh, because in the 90s I, I mean having grown up in you know the late 80s and 90s whenever you saw these kind of pitches i don't think i as a fan could even think about winning i remember the closest in the 90s when we came to winning in australia was the sydney test match of 92 but i think it was about three wickets away and for a long time, that was the right. closest India did. Uh, and I think rain came in the Johannesburg Test match of 20, 1996 in South Africa. But India never got close. Of course, Barbados 81. But uh, yeah, I think for the current generation, it's it. I think the possibilities of winning are there. And incidentally, India has won in all those places since 2008, which are which were you know seen as tough grounds like Durban. Talk about you know Kingston, Jamaica or Perth. Yeah. So that way, I think it's um, it's, a, it's a great time to be an Indian fan. Oh, absolutely. Cannot yeah cannot uh, disagree at all. And and I know after losing the the recent Test in Indore, a lot of fans are like, oh man, this player needs to get sagged and that player needs to get sagged. And it's it's sometimes you know for people who have followed the games in the nineties. We're like, well, they've lost three games in 45. Uh, I think they're doing all right. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that nobody's form should be questioned. But, uh, but you know, sometimes I feel, especially the younger fans who probably started following in, you know, the late 2000s, they Absolutely. see every defeat as the end of the world. And, uh, and yeah, they've, they've definitely not seen how much this team has gone forward. In fact, Sridhar's book talks about one such defeat. And actually, when you look at it, right, we react so badly to some of these defeats. But when you look at it over time, since 2015, I think there have only been three defeats that India has had against Pin. The, the one that he talks about is, I think, the Gaul Test match of August 2015, mm-hmm. where I think Dinesh Chandimal basically blew us out. It was our Eden Gardens moment, albeit we ended up losing, in the sense that we had a 192 run lead against Sri Lanka at Gaul and then Chandimal played that blinder to score 169 in the second innings. And then India couldn't chase uh, 170-odd. We just couldn't find runs against spin. And incidentally, we've lost the three biggest losses that you can think of, apart from that Gaul, is the Pune loss against Australia and now mm-hmm. indoor against. So, But I'm sure we'll, India will find a way back. Um, uh, let's hope Test Match 4 is going to be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so at this point, I want to jump in a little bit into his coaching habits as well as the fielding technique. I, he jumps into that in one of the chapters, and and it's quite interesting because he talks about everything from like width of your stance while catching to catching with an odd height. Um, it's very clear that he's extremely knowledgeable uh, when it comes to his fielding drills. Obviously, he's, he's been there for seven years. It's not an accident. He he knows his um, you know he knows his fielding. 
Um, but the one piece related to fielding and fitness that caught my attention was uh, MS Dhoni's comment on Ashwin when he when Arshidhar had just joined the team. So this is for those who've not read the book. Uh, Arshidhar was talking to MS Dhoni, the then captain, and he's sitting with him and going through a list of players and you know asking Dhoni for his feedback. And the moment Ashwin's name come up uh, comes up. Um, MS Dhoni says, well, can we work on his agility at least? He's a good catcher and all of that, but he's not very agile. So uh, I think it was very clear, even in the early 2010s, that, you know, Ashwin needed work on his fielding. Um, And so I think that clearly shows that the amount of, you know, uh, work we've put in, in terms of identifying weaknesses, things like that. They also talk about He's been there, Chahel, and he's talked about that in earlier interviews as well, that unfortunately just Chahel has released tiny hands. So he he had to work a lot on his catching, um, just the way it was. Um, so what are your thoughts on that and just the whole, uh, everything he talks about? I very refreshing that, you know, all these conversations, fairly candid, has come out. Because whenever you buy a cricketer's book, especially an Indian cricketer's book, you're looking out for anecdotes and none of it actually comes by. Which is why probably I think this book has been one of the most quoted books because in the last three months, I've seen so many such quotes, you know, floating around on Twitter or, uh, you know, suddenly somebody, you know, taking it out and paraphrasing it. So this has got a lot of attention simply because these are very honest encounters. And even with the thing on um, R. Ashwin, there's this passage where R. Ashwin asks him, why should I trust you? Why should I, why should I even listen to you? You will come, you will say something, you will go, you will, you know, I'm, I'm going to be in this site for much longer. Why should I listen to you? And he speaks about both the fact, I think he's able to say that, yes, there are times when, and he keeps it very real, there are times when players are not going to trust, you know, uh, people in a, in a uh, setting. And he speaks so, so many examples. One is the Ashwin example. Then he talks about the example where Virat Kohli, that's the opening chapter, where Virat, as soon as this new coaching setup, you know, uh, support staff is joining Duncan Fletcher in England in 2014, Virat goes and vents out everything such that he feels that, okay, I have somebody that I can trust and talk to. So I think this is where, despite your technicalities, you need to have a great man management relationship with your players, knowing what to talk, when to talk and when to really be honest. There's also this passage with Rishabh Pant, where initially Rishabh Pant is not listening because I think Ashridhar talks about how on certain pitches, Rishabh Pant, his hand position and how he's collecting the ball might, you know, not be the best way to do it because it's not a conventional technique. And he says that Rishabh Pant wasn't listening. And then what happened when he was quiet? Rishabh Pant, uh, you know, asked him, Sir, I want to, you know, get your feedback. And then he, he realizes that Pant is in the state where he is wanting to listen. And there could be other techniques or ways that he's willing to explore. So I think it's a fascinating insight to, you know, uh, having these observations and giving us the view of what that team management thought. And again, when you you know talk about fielding, it's not just fielding, right? But it's also how well do the coaches or the support staff know the bodies of the players. There's this example in the book where they talk about Bhuvaneshwar Kumar in the 2018 tour of South Africa. 17-18 tour. First test, uh, he takes right. a fifer. And he's had South Africa in tatters, 8 for 3 on the opening morning of a test match. I think this was the Boxing Day test match was 2000. Uh, yeah, 2017-18 and uh, 
Second test match, he was not picked at Centurion because they felt it's like a pata wicket. You needed a fast bowler who can, you know, bend his back, you know, have more pace because Bhuvneshwar for us is somebody who bowls great lines and depends on, you know, the, the swing that uh, a red ball offers. He was picked for the third right. test match where he again had a fifer. There was a famous test match that we won uh, uh, when Virat Kohli got quite vocal with Dean Elgar. So, so that way, I think, and he mentions in the book that his body... Bhuvneshwar Kumar's body can't last three test matches. So, these were fascinating insights because it gives us exactly what the management was thinking and what's the truth out there. Because everything is, there's so much of PR around, you know, how a a news item has to appear that the truth basically gets missed. And for us fans, I think it is this trade talk which we're able to relate to and find out that, oh, this is how they were thinking at that time. Yeah, and and the really interesting part about that Bhavneshwar anecdote is they specifically knew which player had what capacity. And they also talk about this in the sense that they talk about specialized fielding drills. So they, um, uh, Arshidhar says, you know, if you're a wicketkeeper, obviously you need to squat a lot. Um, and for a fast bowler, I don't think you need to go all the way down and squat all the time. There's probably other drills to make sure your core is good and, and things like that. So it, he talks about these things and he goes into this a little more briefly than some of the other aspects, but it shows how much attention has been paid to even the research part of it. He talks about how Bharat Arun has done you know, research and I think it's a known thing at this point. Even Ravi Shastri's talked about how biomechanics and things like that are, are pieces that Bharat Arun had done a lot of work on. So it's clear that it's not just a gut and feel sort of situation. And and the reason I say that is I've also read um, VVS Lakshman's autobiography where he talks about, oh, the Hyderabad team would, you know, wake up, take a couple of rounds of the ground, stretch a little bit, have a samosa or two, and then start batting. Like, and it's a completely different mindset. Obviously, it's very specific training and we've come a long way in the last um and I think as you say, gut, gut and feel, right? Sometimes, I think that's the perception memes or the social media world gives us of someone like Ravi Shastri. Because you're talking, yeah. you're always making a meme on, hey, is Shastri, you know, uh, is he fresh from drinking something or, you know, that pot belly. <laughs> so that's the angle. And unfortunately, we have this uh, Twitter-created image of Ravi Shastri. And I think that way, uh, from whatever we've seen in Ashwin's videos or in this case, in this book, I think it offers a fascinating insight into how the team management basically thought and how were they able to make it work. And yeah. I think that's that's a great testimony to the success that they also had. Great input, great absolutely. output. Yep, no, absolutely. The one other piece on the coaching habit is, um, you know, a couple of things that he drops in the book is, one, there's no, you know, single template to make uh, you a good coach. It obviously depends on who the, who the player is, uh, who you're managing, and also talks about, you know, when to say things, how to say things also matters as much as what you say. And this, you know, this is nothing that I don't think either of us have heard for the first time. I feel like all sort of corporate management uh, t- training and things like that will always talk about this. It's not just, you know, there's not one way to handle um, your employees uh, or your colleagues and, and, and things like that. Um, so in that aspect as well, it definitely felt that, um, this core group understood um, what they, you know, they had to do from a coach's standpoint. Whether they got everything right or wrong, of course, they, you know, everybody's human. There's going to be situational things that they'll miss or they won't get right. But at least they had the right template in the set. Right, absolutely. I think so. Some 
amazing instances because we don't know what's happening behind the scenes where they talk about the shami incident where excuse me ravi shastri is you know seen supporting because that's the time mohammad shami also had personal problems going into uh, you know that phase of his life and uh, shastri felt he's not taking enough wickets and there was this banter on you know i'll get you the biryani just 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 go out there and bowl and it's amazing how you know that particular test match i think what had happened was uh, some rain had seeped in the wicket had become slower when south africa was chasing 241 to win and i think they were about 107 uh, 124 for one at that point nine wickets in hand and then shami picks one and then you know there's a procession of wickets 53 for nine happens and south africa lose that test match which is a, a big win by you know for india because they finally won a test match um abroad because i think in that particular time as much as shastri and his uh, unit were doing well in australia but the sena part you know uh, only only australia in that sena part was uh, a place where we did well but england new zealand and south africa were still were places that we didn't really go we still haven't i don't think have one series in uh, south africa yet right as a right i think max we've done a one all we we haven't won two one yep so uh, still that was like something that we were able to win a test match because we were very close to winning the other two test matches so that way i think the way the team management handled someone like shami and the stories that they've put there i think are are very uh, uh, you know it's very nice to see uh, the the human angle of uh, hey is this all that's required and how did they find out that this is what's required to talk and even i think the conversation where it speaks of a maturity that the team management has where shastri's conveyed a message during the sydney test match saying that um, hanuma vihari is having an injury he is not able to lunge forward and play lion but he is able to play pace well uh, but uh, unfortunately uh, you know he is batting against lion and ashwin is batting against the pacers so he said shardul thakur to convey a message saying that just change the strike make sure ashwin battles with lion and uh, you know uh, hanuma vihari is playing the pacers because he is not able to stretch and shardul said at that point i think it looks so confusing he felt empowered as a team member to say they're saying a lot of things whatever you guys are doing is good we trust you when he came back and i think that was revealed much later on that he didn't convey the of message course. that ravi shastri said so one it this is amazing candidness that uh, shridhar is able to go tell this out without uh, you know offending ravi shastri without offending shardul thakur or without uh, offending any of the other players it's a very mature space and it's so nice to see that Yeah that's a, it's a, it's a great point I think the there is a sense of you know I know what I'm doing I'm not super worried about being judged all the time like that sort of scenario which is what any you know mature group has and and you're right it it is fascinating to see um and the other aspect that you mentioned the shami example was I had actually forgotten about it because I read the book 2 months ago but uh, but that's a really good one because it um drills into the fact that it takes even coaches no matter how good a coach is a while to understand what motivates a specific player you know some players are just self motivated some players you know need that push and shami clearly was one of those who um obviously it's not that he doesn't work hard but sometimes he needs that extra bit of push um and i think they gave that example for rishabh pant as well initially at least so um i think it's 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 a really interesting paradigm when you come in as a coach and sometimes uh, this is i i feel like this is definitely true of um you know the coach coaches in the last few years where pe- people are expected to come in whether it's rahul dravid whether on the women's side it's ramesh pawar or or rishikesh kanatkar 
they're expected to come in and produce results like that. And obviously it doesn't work like that. They have to understand how an individual player works, what the team's, you know, bond is like, um, things like that. So it, I mean, to me, it convinces us more for having longer term coaches. Uh, I'm not saying have 10 year coaches, but, you know, have at least two to three year term uh, for every coach. And that way, um, you know, we are setting up a good, you know, environment within the side. And then two and a half years down the line, we can take, an ex- uh, you know, the BCC, I can uh, as the players get feedback and understand if this was a good setting, if we need to keep going on this setting. Uh, because especially on the women's side, I feel like on the women's side, we've cha- seen changes all the time. You know, there there, there was VV Ram, uh, WV Raman, Ramesh Pawar was coached before that. Now it's Rishikesh Kanadkar, but he's technically a temporary coach. So, yeah, it's just a lot of changes, and I don't, I don't think that's a sustainable environment. Um, right. Even if thinking, why was that you know change happening? And again, this is just my own perception. Uh, if you remember, 2013, 15 was the time that there was a scandal in the IPL, fixing going on. BCCI mm-hmm. uh, top brass was removed, and then they had this interim committee. I kind of felt that at that point of time, there was no BCCI did not have anybody with a very tall presence who could call the shots. As a result, there was a lot of power that was concentrated in the hands of Virat Kohli as a captain in terms of who he wanted or what he wanted. Because if you remember, even Tendulkar and uh, Kumble were part of some of the... I was saying Tendulkar and Lakshman were part of some of, some technical committee, but it wasn't like a BCCI chairman position. Like you had a Jagmohan mm-hmm. Dalmia before. Or, so BCCI did not have that central leadership for that time. And they just didn't want to go upset anything there. What happened as a result was, I think, largely till about 2018-19, nobody questioned whatever Virat Kohli did. Uh, as much as they had the support of the team management, I think once uh, you saw that, you know, BCCI started, you know, the uh, not following the Loda Commission and then BCCI came on its own, where then you had Saurabh Ganguly uh, coming in as a cap president, then you started seeing that they were also looking to regain lost glory and then there was this lack of trust between uh, you know, Saurav Ganguly and, and Virat Kohli. But for some reason, <clears throat> that's probably why they had a longer tenure is, is what I'm thinking. But unfortunately for the women's coach, we've seen that, you know, uh, every one and a half years or two years, there's this scene that's that's coming. And yeah. the common theme I'm still seeing in both is there are power centers. And sometimes this is centered around which power center is more likely to work. For example, they had, I think, uh, Ramesh Pawar who replaced Tushar Arothe back in 2018. And a new power center was emerging, which was basically uh, 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 the current captain, Harman Preet Kaur and this thing. Because they had a very, I think they wanted to bench Mithali Raj for the semi-final versus England. And then she created a furor that, how can I be dropped? And it again led to him being sacked a new coach. So I think in women's cricket, the uh, because it's you know suddenly seeing a lot of power and money in the game, um, it is also creating factions. Uh, men's cricket has probably you know seen that from the 1990s. As a result, they're probably able to adjust to some of these things. Women's cricket is fairly new. Money started coming only after 2017 or 18 when India you know w- w- went to the final right. 2017 World Cup. So their mm-hmm. structures are probably not very strong. Again, these are perceptions. I'm just trying to connect the dots. There's no definitive theory that I have, but I'm yeah, closely watching yeah. this case. Yeah, no, it, it kind of makes sense. I think there was other aspects to it as well. Um, I think there were also factions within the women's team which said they didn't really enjoy working with Ramesh Bawar. So I think that played part. That played a part too. Uh, but but I think you're right. I think 
as you know there's more power and more dynamics coming in it'll take a little bit for um you know that maturity to come in to the team and and uh, and to the management as well so uh hopefully we'll we'll see that happen you know much quicker than we did with the men's team uh that uh, you know because they already have a template they already you know i guess the way to put it is teams are already professional today even if you know the women's team is at the cusp of it um uh, there's already you know a lot of other teams which they can take um you know which they can learn from so um but anyways um and we kind of went on a little bit of a tangent uh coming back to the book and um uh, you know just one of the things that stood out was that australia tour and i mean it it stands out for so many reasons one is of course the famous gaba win managing to beat them with the second string side and i think we've all talked and uh you know talked about it and gushed over the glory and all all that kind of good stuff um but the other piece which really stood out to me was um how in tune these players are so in his book um arshidhar mentions that it took them about 2 to 3 days to get back into the glory and get back into the routine after that covid break and even get their catching right and that to me as a club cricketer who plays 3 months a year is mind blowing because for me uh, i expect to be out of like touch all the time <laughs> because i'm yeah. playing every weekend once i'm not really getting a practice session in between um then um, there's long there's like four to four, five month breaks in between even be- between practices in the off season here in the us so the fact that they are at that level that even a short break can impact them really shows that the you know where they are like he talks about concentration levels being nowhere close to where they were right. he talks about how they didn't start taking catches with the hard ball until day 2 or, or something like that so there's a lot there which we haven't processed as fans i think i think we had um, you know obviously we had said oh yeah we're coming off a break so everybody's not going to be 100% and you know we excused uh like if i think ravindra jadeja dropped a catch in the ipl or something like that and if you we like okay we we get it like we're pe- players are still getting back into it it's not the same but i don't think it's been fully understood uh, or like researched even um the impact of that covid break and how much that affected um athletes in general but you know cricketers in the, in this case right i think the effect that you know that he talks about in fact when i was watching this documentary on sony live they didn't basically touch upon this particular aspect it was called bandon mein dam tha it came here mm-hmm. sony live i think yeah, sony produced that but the the point that's made here is initially when i read that in the book i was very surprised because we had just seen an ipl okay i think when the ipl happened september 19th that year it started and went up till you know end of october and that's when this australia uh, series also mm-hmm. uh, started at that point now in the ipl you're used to players performing but i think what's happening here is these players have been on the road from just before the ipl and all of a sudden you just it's it's a very different phenomenon for a player because you are in this bubble you're immediately transported to the next bubble and you have to head to alien conditions where there are problems and you're not very sure about hey you know your mind is not very stable because you're not sure ki this is the place i'm going to play for the next 10 days or 15 days because test matches are moved places are moved perth has its own regulations uh, they spoke about right. canberra having its own regulations so it's mentally very upsetting because you're not in that complete rhythm where you're not sure of what's going to happen and one small mistake 
could mean at that point of time when i say, when I say a mistake it's like exposure to the virus could essentially mean mm-hmm. that team combinations are thrown in a tizzy so it's you're in a boxed environment i think that's what this whole thing showed us uh, that these players can also have complete off days and for us i think the first right. part of the tour was a very forgetful one because neither were we scoring runs neither were we taking wickets we were in a daze i think it's only the third odi that we started showing some semblance of form before winning the t20i series we lost the odi series then right and even i as a cricket fan i don't remember much of uh, uh, the odi series for the reason that uh, um, i was in cricket at that point working and we i think at that point had got a four month uh, after a four month uh, you know window we finally got a break a saturday sunday and a week because from the time mm-hmm. england and west indies resumed cricket every saturday sunday it had cricket and because i was running a, a cricket website there are no saturday sundays and most matches happen on saturday sundays so there's a lot of work that's there on weekends and i remember not wanting to watch cricket that week and anyway india wasn't playing performing very well uh, i don't remember that series at all in fact it's gone out of memory it's only the <laughs> t20i series and the and the test matches that you now you know very fondly remember but yes i think it makes a very interesting case for how a sudden situation where players are not sure of you know life around them whether this virus yeah. will eat them their families it's a very different situation and we were able to first time see the mental side of things and while ravi has you know uh, as a coach spoken about some of these things we didn't take it very seriously because as a fan when you lose right you're enraged you're like how can these guys give excuses they they, they ought to win yeah. because i remember ravi shastri saying this in 2021 too when we had like the third wave of covid at that point of time uh, india didn't do very well in the t20 world cup at uh, in the middle east and i just mm-hmm. found it very tough because india just played the ipl i mean most of these players and all of a sudden at comes the world cup and they're saying they're tired and they knew this is about to happen i think there are certain things that the coaching staff see which probably we don't and i think this is where right. the mental aspect of things piling on can really you know you know get to your head yeah no absolutely um and and the other aspect of that whole covid situation i mean i, I completely agree with you the the mental aspect the fact that they were in small you know hotel rooms not able to stretch and things like that and obviously uh, you know it got better and better as it went on because even in the IPL they realized that okay we need to give each player weights and some you know with uh, bigger rooms and things like that so that even when they are in quarantine they are not just sitting on their bed and you know watching netflix or something um Uh, so i think that definitely improved over time but the other aspect was specifically about australia and their rules which you know stood out to me and i mean obviously we were following the series closely the test series in particular um and we had heard about how stringent the rules were um you know but the fact that ravi shastri played the role that he did was just amazing i mean firstly for anyone who's not read, read the book there's a number of anecdotes which show how knowledgeable he is whether it's suggesting a particular shot to rishabh pant because a bowler is bowling in with a specific field um or you know yeah, that's the genesis of else. the reverse sweep against jimmy anderson right huh. exactly yep yes exactly yeah so things like that or or there's a number of other anecdotes which really show how knowledgeable he is and you know to your point unlike anything that we see on twitter and and the memes right um, and in fact there was this thing in australia where i think they said that they again changed the rules and ravi shastri went and told i think the commissioner or whoever it was on that tour 
saying that look here my guys need you know space and time so this was your rule you are now changing the rule midway i am not entitled to follow it you can do whatever you want my guys are going to go out to the city and have a beer if you want come join us this was ravi shastri so he is also you know he is your central point of focus i i love the kind of importance that he draws to himself he's taking himself very seriously and he's like yeah. a very senior member of the squad who also knows how to have fun and i like the way the attitude that he carries because i think before the 2014 tour and he, he says that in the book where shridhar mentions saying that when these guys give one gali give three because that's how you win in australia or have that mindset <laughs> when you go to australia so it's a very aggressive mindset that's not just on the field but even off the field where you don't want any unnecessary disturbance coming and knocking you mentally and that too required a lot the coach and the support staff you know to be in a very sane space so that the players could you know get the right vibes from the support staff so i think ravi shastri did a remarkable job thanks to arshi that we were able to know some of these instances yeah absolutely and and i think even before the tour it was in one of um, arashun's videos as well where he talked about how ravi shastri put his foot down and said hey if the families are not coming were not coming and then ca had to just deal with the australian government and figure it out so i i think from there from that aspect a lot of respect to ravi shastri because of the way he handled everything he uh, to your point he literally told the ex commissioner of melbourne to cut the bullshit and sit down those were his exact words uh, i'm not i'm not paraphrasing or anything and so the fact that he did that also makes me think how india would be if it was some other coach like even somebody like gary kerstin who's obviously a very renowned coach very successful you know players agree that he was one of the best coaches they'd played under and all that kind of good stuff but even he was not somebody who would you know put his foot down and and deal with things like ravi shastri did so in that sense it was um almost really good you know happenstance that uh, for india and and the team in that point that Ravi Shastri was the man in charge during covid right i think it comes from the character he was a very feisty character always up for a fight and uh, even in his book i think which was i think uh, stargazing he may, mm-hmm. in fact some of the characters that he's picked in the book are people who are similar to him like dean jones or for example talking on shane warne interestingly he's avoided a whole chapter on saurav ganguly there's this picture uh, i think with with dada there but dada's talking to greg chapel and the whole story is about greg chapel but yeah that's for a different conversation on a different book but i think rabin <laughs> shastri as a character is from this as much as sanjay manjrekar or gavaskar would say you know bombay school of batsmanship where you show that you're this khadoos mentality and you're up for a fight i think it was good that you had somebody from this region who was our coach and uh, somebody who you know we've all you know enjoyed listening it's he's the same person whether it's on commentary or whether it's in person uh, you know so you know what to expect from someone like ravi shastri and i think it was a, a a great time that we had him as coach especially with his support staff because i as i said you know we we live in a twitter era where i think we perceive these yeah. things more easily uh, looking at the book i'm just surprised at the number of instances where you know only someone like ravi shastri and his band of men could have done what they did yeah no absolutely especially standing up to the authorities things like that i you know there's no way i see rahul dravid doing that or or as i said like greg chapel uh, sorry gary kirsten doing that so definitely uh, we we had the right men at the right time and that definitely helped in um, making that happen obviously that doesn't have to take anything away from um everything that the the players themselves did in terms of preparing and just going out there and performing but um 
But yeah, um, the other aspect of the book, which, um, you know, really interested me as well was uh, towards the end of it, he talks about reflections and, and mistakes made. Um, this is a little bit fascinating because some of it is, um, some of it are, some of them are things which we're like, okay, we kind of get it. Like there were things which got sort of lost in translation or there were assumptions made, like for example, the number four position in the 2019 World Cup, uh, the much debated right. <laughs> topic. Uh, so that that topic, he talks about how there was always an understanding that, okay, uh, Ambati Raidu was going to be the guy and he had performed and then they saw something interesting in Vijay Shankar and tried to take a chance on him. And it ended up being a situation where, you know, somebody was in the side without having played that 30, 35 ODIs without like enough experience being tested enough. Um, and it led to a failure. Um, so what are your thoughts about this particular uh, topic as well as just generally his, his thoughts on, or his honesty or, you know, whatever his per- perception, whatever you want to call it uh, towards the mistakes that the team made. Right. So see, uh, for me, the 2019 World Cup, you know, um, it, was, it was like a personal death of sorts because that moment still is in my mind where you have that Martin Guptill throw to MS. And I, it's not like I you know, thought MS would win it for India, but sometimes I just had that odd feeling that, okay, Jimmy Nisham to bowl the final over and Jimmy Nisham is like Corey Anderson, you know, this military medium pace. And this is exactly the kind of uh, bowling that Dhoni can feast on. So I thought, okay, uh, you know, that moment of the 2019 World Cup was like a personal loss. So when somebody speaks about, and the last chapter where he's, he's speaking about these things, saying that we shouldn't have done it, I just felt a little violated saying that, damn, you had like three years to figure this out. And how could you guys, you know, just, you know, uh, miss the woods for the trees because you picked everything else properly. And then this particular thing, why did you have this harebrained decision making? Because one was Ambati Raidu, and it was, he was mm-hmm. I think he, had, he had a couple of 80s or 90s in that last series in New Zealand till they went to the right. World Cup. I remember there was this game where India collapsed for 180 or 190, and Ambati Raidu made 90 odd in that game. Right. And uh, India tried many people in that position. Like they, in fact, till 2017, they even had Yuvraj Singh as an uh, as an option. He ended up scoring 150 or 130 with MS. I think it was a game at Qatar yeah. for the uh, you know the three one of those three F 350 run fests. That India usually doles out, uh, you know, flat pitches under you. <laughs> but Yuvraj was not. I mean, Yuvraj, I think, was discarded suddenly. I think after the Champions Trophy, uh, you know, suddenly, you know, Yuvraj fell out of favor in 2017. And I just don't know where Vijay Shankar came because Shreya Sayer was a decent option at that point of time. You also had Rishabh, but Rishabh had not tasted so much of success in ODIs. Uh, there was a game. I think Shreya Sayer scores 88 of 70 against Sri Lanka. So I thought, okay, they might blood him. And England is not that kind of a place which you know where you have bounce. And at that point of time, I think it was his early days. Shreyas Iyer's problems against bounce wasn't so you know well founded back then. So I thought these would would be the option because India usually goes for technically correct players and they invest time in them. Like for example, mm-hmm. persistence with KL Rahul or Rohit Sharma, uh, because even Rohit Sharma right. was not a certainty for an Indian Test side till about 2018. As much as we see him as the leader. Yeah. He was as much the struggler as uh, some other player is today till about 2018. Uh, in fact, I, I never thought he'd play test match cricket after he, I think there's a full shot that he does in South Africa and he gets out caught at fine leg. I thought that we've seen the last of him. And then they suddenly decided to, you know, t- make him open the batting. So as much as I credit this team management um, for taking some great decisions and talking through it, I think Sridhar has been fairly candid. 
and to me it just it's a sense of frustration saying how could you make this mistake because yeah. there are a lot of things that we as fans cannot decipher you guys have done a great job in trying to identify patterns and then work on it and then make it work for india but this thing that we all could see this is something you couldn't see and that's where it sometimes feels bad so as much as he is being honest in that chapter i somehow felt that you know what's the point of speaking on this when this was the most obvious thing to do and and that was my you know that's what i was thinking when i was going through because i felt that pain because i just didn't understand where did vijay shankar come out of the mix i think we just got greedy yeah. towards the end saying okay this guy can bat this guy can bowl he's anyway playing for you know delhi in the ipl so like a random choice out of nowhere but yeah i think uh, yeah. we hope we you know correct some of those mistakes as we get into the world cup year yeah absolutely i mean i think it it was definitely a risky choice of picking somebody with i think seven odis or something like that over you know amati rai who had been around the setup for 2 3 years um and similar to what you said like the frustration or the irritation of a fan that is what i felt when i read also the t20 world cup in 2021 um one of the passages and I'll, and i'll quote what he reads uh what he says is he says can we bring more specificity to our preparations we should be practicing sweeps and reverse sweeps to unsettle their spinners this is before um the game against afghanistan okay. who obviously have a number of good spinner spinners and then he talks about how he took surakumar yadav um into the nets and made him play a, f- a few sweeps but he didn't share that with others who were focusing on you know batting against 145 and having slingers bowl at them and calls it not his style of coaching so i don't really buy that and and the reason i don't really you know buy that is i i get that you can't push something without you know a player understanding it but at this point arshidhar has been with the team 7 years this is not his first stint where he's like unsure what player receives what you know information in what manner things like that so at that point if you know he don't, you don't have to be top dog to bring up all the ideas he absolutely should have you know mentioned that whether it's ravi shastri whether it's that to, it's to virat kohli whoever it is and if after that the the you know feedback is not taken i get it then it's it's not arshidhar's fault but the fact that that conversation was not brought up that was just you know sensational to me as like how is this happening in 2021 when other teams are doing matchups and things like that where the indian team is talking about this and i i don't know if he's i mean i feel like indian team also looked at these things like matchups numbers and things like that um but the specifically training for a game that aspect really surprised me so you're having very people with very different mentalities in a cricketing setup um my cousin brother works with csk and he you know tries to crunch a lot of numbers and show it to the team management and what i've heard from him is that these numbers are given to the team management it is up to dhoni to decide whether he wants to see it or not mm-hmm. and uh, even in one of our colleges uh, meeting where enshrinivasan is an investor in our college and he uh, we had asked him a question about uh, how's the relationship with dhoni how how does he prepare for a game he says he just wakes up at 3 in the afternoon and then goes whatever you have to say you have to say it in the in the hotel because once he steps on to the field he doesn't take he doesn't listen to anyone it's he's he's his own this thing and even csk ceo says that you know um, we trust him so 12 years he's given us and, and that's exactly why maybe you know you you can't have a standardized uh, you know buy in saying that this is how we will you know look at data because rohit sharma is said to is be somebody who's very interested in matchups or looks at data right 
but it's not the same with someone like a hardik pandya or somebody like because the, the, the gujarat setup that one with hardik pandya ashish nehra not a very data centric side csk keeps winning ipls for fun uh, with dhoni with a you know with a dad zami they don't look so much at data very mature side with a bunch of captains saying everybody knows what is to be done so i think right. data in sport uh, is something where unless you have the buy in of the entire team they're not going to listen to some analyst who's you know, putting numbers in an excel and this is yeah. where i think uh, uh, maybe someone like r shridhar realizes that as much as you know there is uh, a lot of channels and pathways built between players and the team management there are some dead ends which he can't probably you know navigate he just can't go down that right. route and i think this is probably where you're seeing that despite knowing that this is where it's going uh they don't have the power or they don't have uh they don't feel empowered enough to go ahead and take a decision because even shridhar's thing he's talked spoken about an example where the indian team buys into this whole uh you know aggression mindset and then all of a sudden chasing 269 it's happened twice at lords 269 against england in 2018 and i think even the world cup game ms dhoni goes and plays this uh very blunt innings where he scores some 20 or 30 balls and he just gives up the game midway even then ravi shastri basically you know it's it said that he shouted at the team management saying why did they do this it's a fascinating insight that shastri does it but here is a very stodgy guy who doesn't want to listen he's basically said that i'll play the way i play i basically won a world cup i won an ipl i won so many other things he is basically done everything that he can he's a legend but there are times legends also don't fit in sometimes to the you know to the game or right. the situation so um, i think despite india having this vision Uh, i don't think everybody really buys in if even if 80% of the unit buys in they are a very successful side but it's not the case right. when i read oin morgan's book even if there's one deviation right they they don't want that player in the setup as was you know the case with alex hales and even with very nearly with uh, david malan he scored 150 odd something against new zealand in a t20 because he took three extra balls to re- you know reach his t20 i 100 Morgan was ready to drop him in in 2020 that's the level to which the commitment you know Owen Morgan expects to a cause that they have so it's very very different because even in the book you've seen instances where the team management has decided to be aggressive but certainly Cheteshwar Pujara can't be this aggressive i think that the last uh, even on the last page of the book it talks about Shastri sending a message to Cheteshwar Pujara saying stop you know uh stop being on that fucking luna and get on our harley davidson just to score runs i think he was 8 yeah. at 61 balls in a test match with south africa so that way i think there are still it just shows that just like a good movie right as much as is a great movie shown you know picture abhi baki hai there's still so many more areas that you know with a coaching setup and data you can you know transform it so it leaves uh, yeah space for the viewer to also envision what they want to see as a fan it it's also a fascinating insight into the culture because um and i think we've all seen this when greg chapel was you know head of the indian team because he came in and he said i don't really care if i ruffle feathers i think this is the right thing to do and if you don't fit in it you don't fit in it like uh gangwali was you know in, in my opinion rightly uh kicked out because he was just not in form and that is a lot you know that is a mindset that i've seen i think it's it's more easy to see with um non subcontinent sides like in like england you mentioned and on morgan side um 
I think in India, there's that culture of building relationships and, and just being, you know, more respectful to somebody who's older, more experienced and things like that. And so that all also ties into this in, in sort of an underlying thread and, and plays a little bit of a part, um, in my opinion. But, but I think the other aspect, the other aspect is what you mentioned is data. Uh, the uh, But the preparation, I think that has been specific, at least in men's cricket for a long time, in the sense that, um, you know, if, I mean, think about 1999, if Tendulkar was preparing for a spinning wicket against Shane Warne, he called on Lakshman Shiv Ramakrishnan. He didn't say, oh, give me, I don't know, Tinu Yohanan or whatever the best pacer of the time was um, to, to help me practice against pace. So that specific training has been a part all the time like Suresh Raina you know when he was coming up and starting to think about establishing a test career said that I'm practicing on cement wickets um, so that I can learn how to play bounce so that specific training piece surprised me a lot because I would think that that's something that's happening for at least 15 years if not more um, but yeah the data aspect I, I get the data aspect is definitely a you know a lot more personal um, depending on who the leaders are, how they feel about it, it can it can vary from team to team. In fact, there's a very interesting line in the book where I think he speaks about um, uh, Virat Kohli. Virat Kohli asking, I think, the sling bowler in the side, saying that um, I want you to bowl at 150, and this was I think Wanderers 2018, on a tough, dangerous-looking wicket. Or even the practice wickets were similar. So Virat Kohli, because he's gone through this 2014 heartbreak where he's, you know, very tough to get run, 130 runs in 10 innings or 14 average or something like that. Virat's not making runs. He is now trying to simulate situations. And this is where Sridhar basically calls this trouble the comfort and comfort the trouble. Where he's trying to simulate saying how much of toughness can I give this player? So if it's too much of trouble, can I bring down the trouble? Ensure that they are in 100% comfort zone and then slowly raise the bar up. So I think this uh, this philosophy where, you know, R. Sridhar is touched. He saw that with Virat Kohli, he doesn't have to put the benchmark because Virat Kohli himself is going and, you know, putting these benchmarks. Uh, but I thought as a coaching philosophy, uh, uh, it's interesting that the coach is trying to find what is that equilibrium to which you could go basically challenge that particular player. So I found that pretty interesting in terms of the Preparation and as you say, I think champion players always want to see how much can they challenge themselves for you know um, a big feat, and uh, that way right. people are able to go find answers. And it's as you said, it's been happening across generations. It's just that sometimes these things are documented, sometimes it's not documented. Like Dinesh Karthik's right. Renaissance with Abhishek Nair is not documented anywhere unless Dinesh Karthik releases a book. Or for that matter, I think uh, how Joss Butler became this great T20 player because at Middlesex, he apparently happened to have this South African bowler called Thomas. And they used to, I think, uh, after the game's play, they used to spend two hours bowling Yorkers and he would basically try to paddle sweep those Yorkers above, uh, lift those Yorkers. So some other, I think, Crickwiz, one of the Crickwiz uh, uh, writers, they had written this book called Cricket 2.0 and there it talks about how mm. you know, this kind of practice happens. So the practice is, yeah. I think, is, is always there. Data is just a means to see a, you know, a pattern and then see if you're able to, you know, uh, have something for that pattern. But I think, yeah, with yeah. India, despite the fact that, you know, you know, the, okay, someone like Prithvi Shaw is going to basically face trouble if for a left-arm bowler coming in or KL Rahul or, you know, Rohit. I don't think we care so much about these matchups. We trust our players saying, you know, you need to have a long rope and especially someone like KL or Rohit, 
they've got the long rope because they're very special players right i know we've talked a lot about all the aspects of the book um i guess i want to you know probably sign off with your thoughts on just overall what did you make of the book i know it's it's you know you mentioned you love the inside some of the things that has been um that we've only seen as fans just getting to understand what was happening in the dressing room and things like that um how do you think this book will be remembered considering it's probably the first and i'm sure there'll be more as players retire but it's probably the first of this golden era where india won a lot and challenged teams abroad if not always won um you know you know especially considering all the other books we've read because again it 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 uh, it's very different from say vvs lakshman's book it's completely different from you know vasim akram's book which i guess falls into a completely different category different but Right. Yeah, a different category altogether. Uh but yeah, what do you make of it overall? I think as I said I love the candidness with which certain subjects are, you know, spoken about. It re- reflects a very mature space where the players are aware that these things are going to be written and, you know, being talked about. So that way I just felt that this is basically a great proclamation that Indian cricket is in great hands. We and it's not like we are the best side. We've we've grown to be the best side. through our experiences and there's this 10000 hour rule where it says you have to go through 10000 hours of hard work to achieve where you're doing and even with ashridhar he doesn't talk about bringing wholesale changes just talks about a mindset and then there are places where your mindset has to be revised where i think the, the gold test match was apparently a place where they revised their mindset saying we were aggressive but what does aggression mean it means having five bowlers to bowl and then that five bowlers thing started where uh, right. i just looked at the numbers uh, separately before this you know talk india were doing 8.52 wickets in innings between 2011 and 15 prior to the gold test after the gold test we were doing 9.25 wickets in an innings so that's what the extra fifth bowler does in terms of you getting those extra wickets and your uh, balls per wicket had gone from 66.4 to 48.4 so that's 17 balls lesser for a wicket so i think it is how some of these landmark uh you know decisions are taken and you know you're able to put context it was fascinating trying to read through and because you reached me reached out to me during the first test at nagpur and that was when we were trying to record this podcast to me i also realized that this is also a great a book if you want to go read on how the uh, transformation has happened across different border gavaskar trophies because this uh, uh, shridhar stenior started with the um, you know with india in england and then india going to australia and right. it talks about how virat first set the tone for the team and then it talks about how we win in 1819 how we win in 2021 and here we are in another border gavaskar trophy and this is such a huge change to as you said these are the golden years for you know the border gavaskar trophy for as as indian fans because in 2011 the series prior to this when ms dhoni was asked okay which is a better you know loss or which is a, this thing between india and india, india losing 04 in england or 04 in australia he had this very deadpan response saying you die you die you don't ask which is a better way to die so from listening to those kind of statements to you know talking about you know how people are able to gather their shit and courage and then grit and then go out and to, to the field and you know show a very different perception and also actually win this book basically covers that journey and i think it's been a, a great read that way now I, i i couldn't disagree i know we talked about you know some frustrations around the mistakes that were made you know um missing the missing the forest uh for the trees or, or things like that and and i think we even keeping those aside it, it definitely was a 
really good read in general. Um, I will I will say that I do expect more to come from this phase of cricket. I think, um, I mean, I have no idea if Virat Kohli or Rohit Sharma, those people will have an autobiography, but I would be surprised if nobody else from that era has an autobiography going forward. And that might be more revealing from that player's perspective. Um, but also, I think, you know, the... the it might have a, just a different explanation to some of the things that they did, you know, whether it was the number four position, whether it was, you know, something else. Um, so I, I do hope that there's more to come from this era. But having said that, this definitely was uh, was a fun read. I actually don't think Virat Kohli or any of these players are going to go do a tell-all tale book. I think these these, <laughs> these kind of good books come either from places where, uh, I mean, it's some kind of player democracy is encouraged. You can say what you want in England and Australia. They're fairly open about what they're saying. Or it comes where, uh, you know, uh, the countries in doldrums like Wazim Akram's book, he openly talks about the kind of <laughs> selection issues that have happened in the Pakistan side and how they used to select. Yeah. Because they're generally in doldrums, they have nothing to lose. So the not, nothing to lose bit is probably what differentiates. And that's why in, a, in such a scenario, in India, you are getting this kind of a book. I think it's a first of its kind. Because even in Shastri's book, he just briefly touches upon the player. He doesn't talk about instances. So to me, I think this is uh, a, a landmark that way in, in an Indian uh, cricket reading scenario because there's a lot of these instances that are put, which otherwise I would have never heard, not even on commentary. So I'm, in fact, looking forward to listening to Sridhar whenever he talks on commentary. Yeah, uh, that, that's a really good point because we, we talked to... Um, Pakistani cricket fan for Wasim Akram's book and actually that was our previous episode um, um, on the podcast and we asked him about the same you know the fact that there were so many controversies touched and he said well that's pretty standard for Pakistani cricket and uh, autobiography so you're right and in the sense that the candidness is definitely not normal Um, Vivius Lakshman's book I keep going back to it but that to me felt like it was very polished and he didn't want to hurt anybody or you know, uh, say too much or, or things like that. But definitely this is a little more open than that. I will absolutely agree that it's nowhere close to, um, you know, England or uh, um, where Pakistan cricket books are. But nonetheless, um, with that, I'll just, I just want to thank you, Karthik, for your time. I appreciate uh, you jumping on and it's been really fun talking to you um, about not just the book, but everything around the last decade or so of, of Indian cricket. And uh, hopefully we'll find another topic to come uh, bring you back on and chat. Sure, man. My pleasure. It just felt like it was a conversation in a bar where two people are just, you know, two cricket fans are just <laughs> sitting and talking. It was nice, nice catching up. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to an episode of The Last Wicket. Do check out other episodes on your podcast app of choice or at thelastwicket.com. This podcast is a Cricket Guys production featuring your hosts, Benny and Mike. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do let a friend know, rate and subscribe on your platform of choice, follow us on your social media feeds, and leave us a voice message if you would like to share your thoughts with us. Thank you again for listening, and from all of us here at The Last Wicket, stay safe and stay healthy.